The Dodgers and Cardinals both lose a starter, but Juan Soto may be close to a return. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have That's not had the three go-throughs uh, yet. It worked great in a fantasy. Three. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Wednesday, July 29th. I'm Al Melker. I'm here with Derek Van Riper and DVR. We've uh, got uh, more information. Uh, you know, This came out pretty early on Tuesday, so I'm sure a lot of people are caught up with this, but we'll just recap here. In terms of scheduling, uh, the Marlins are on pause uh, at least through this Sunday. And uh, the Phillies, uh, they'll be paused through at least Thursday. And then in the meantime, the Orioles and the Yankees, who respectively were supposed to be playing the Marlins uh, and the Phillies, they'll be playing each other on Wednesday and Thursday. So that's where we're at right now. Uh, But uh, as far as the Nationals go, there's some potentially good news there. Juan Soto has now had two negative COVID-19 tests. He is still awaiting clearance from uh, Major League Baseball and from the District of Columbia Health Department, according to Jessica Camarado of MLB.com. So I'm not sure there's much for us to do here other than just... uh, you know, click refresh on uh, our news source and uh, hope that Juan Soto's back soon. Yeah, fortunately, he's trending in the right direction. So uh, maybe we'll see him back by the weekend, if not a little bit sooner. Everything is just so touch and go. I think we've uh, had a lot change since we last spoke, and that's been true almost every day of 2020. So uh, that's just going to be the way things are, I think, going forward uh, in general. And I think the thing on top of the pandemic that's made the shortened season even more challenging is it seems as though there are more injuries than usual with this season starting back up. Aside from players uh, being exposed to COVID or contracting COVID, a lot of pitchers have been hitting the IL in the first week of the season. Yeah, and uh, we'll get to a couple uh, pitchers that are two of the more recent additions to that uh, aisle list. Unfortunately, uh, Alex Wood, he is out with shoulder inflammation, so Dodgers placed him on the injured list. Miles Michaelis was placed on the injured list uh, on Tuesday, but then not too long after that transaction, there was a report that he's going to undergo season-ending surgery on his right flexor tendon. So, uh, that's a, a obviously a very big deal for Michaelis and for the Cardinals. Uh, but let's go back to the Dodgers situation first because there was a lot of speculation in terms of who might replace Alex Wood in the rotation, a rotation that's already really hurt by injuries. But then uh, there was a report from Ken Gurnick of MLB.com that Clayton Kershaw could be back in the Dodgers rotation as soon as this Friday. He's, of course, been dealing with a stiff back. So uh, maybe the solution is right there with uh, Clayton Kershaw. Do you think, uh, DVR, that any of the other potential replacements for uh, Alex Wood, Tony Gonsolin, Josiah Gray, Mitchell White, Victor Gonzalez, uh, those are some of the names that were mentioned by Eric Steven of SB Nation and in some other reports I saw as well. Uh, Are they worth speculating on just because they may be a Kershaw setback or another injury away from them being called up? I think in really deep leagues, you could speculate on on Gonsolin right now. I'd keep an eye on the other names just in case the way timing works out. It's so hard to know who's throwing on what day at alternate camps. You know, if guys are stretched out as a starter, 
I imagine that they're trying to stagger them a little bit, uh, but not knowing how that works. Normally in a minor league season, you'd look at the minor league affiliates and see who pitched on Tuesday and try to figure out then who's going to make a start for an injured major league pitcher on that Sunday, right? You'd have a pretty clear indicator of how things might fall into place. We don't have that right now. Gonsolin was the surprise removal from the roster when the season began. I thought even if he wasn't in the rotation, which he wasn't expected to be if everybody was healthy, he'd be good enough to be in the bullpen. I do think in the case of Alex Wood, it's probably just a prolonged opportunity for Dustin May with the expectation that Kershaw comes back. So Gonsolin, if he was cut in an NL-only league or a league with maybe more than 15 teams with big benches, I'd think about stashing. Otherwise, it's more of a wait-and-see situation. All right. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And the Cardinals situation, I think there's probably a little bit more cause for action in fantasy leagues there uh, because Michaelis is not going to be coming back in 2020. And we know for sure who's going to replace him in the next go around. That's going to be Daniel Ponce de Leon. I think he would have been a lot of people's um, educated guess in any event, but we now have confirmation that Ponce de Leon is going to join the rotation. Uh, he will face the twins on, on Wednesday night. So, uh, you know, that's, that's settled. So that said, uh, where do you think it's worthwhile to try to add Ponce de Leon? I think he's going to be a streamer in 12 team leagues and anything more shallow and probably more of a permanent fixture in 15 team mixed leagues and anything deeper. But I do think with Ponce de Leon, you got to be very careful with that matchup against the twins. So if you're in a first come first serve league or a league that runs waivers multiple times per week, if you add him, don't start him right away. The Twins are a team that I definitely want to steer away from when it comes to back-end starters. Excellent point. <laughs> Excellent point. So if you manage to get him sometime here on Wednesday, uh, don't insert him right into the lineup. I think that's really sound advice. Uh, also, another development with the Cardinals and a definitely a positive one. Giovanni Gallegos was activated on Tuesday and then he went right to work uh, pitching for the Cardinals against the Twins on Tuesday night. That was in a, um, a losing situation, came in with a deficit. So if you're looking for any kind of clue as to what role Gallegos is going to play over the longer term, you didn't really get a, uh, a promising indicator then, but also one that doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot. Uh, do you think that uh, there's a chance that he and I'm going to say this is in the absence of any kind of reporting that I've seen DVR, but it, let's say if you've got still got Gallegos and you held on to him, uh, is he worth continuing to stash in the hopes that he plays some sort of high leverage role? I would probably wait until at least the weekend, which I'm you know forced to do in, in weekly leagues before I make that decision. I think we have to be mindful of the fact that as players come back from the IL or as the first series, the first couple series play out, some workloads have been completely impacted by game situations. So, for example, we didn't see Josh Hader pitch in the Brewers opening series against the Cubs. We didn't see Rowan Wick pitch in the series against the Brewers. And I bring up Wick because Craig Kimbrell has struggled. We saw Wick come into a game very early. I think it was Monday night he entered the game in the sixth inning. But that was his first appearance of the season. He was brought in in a blowout probably because they just wanted him to get some work in. And I think that can sometimes confuse what a pitcher's actual role is or what his standing is within a bullpen. So I think in the case of Gallegos, this was more just a case where Mike Schilt wanted to get Gallegos into a game. And as we see how things unfold the next few days, I think it'll be a little bit clearer if they intend to bring him back in to the ninth inning role. 
Yeah, and that's a, that's also a very good point too. That uh, you know we're still very early into the season, and you know just as another example, Brandon Workman hadn't pitched until Tuesday, so then you know he got into the Red Sox game also uh, in a deficit. But you know if he he maybe he doesn't close out uh, a game with a potential save opportunity on Wednesday, and that doesn't necessarily mean anything about Brandon Workman because uh, every indication has been that he's going to be the Red Sox closer. So. You definitely need to take a look at uh, these uh, particular situations uh, and how uh, relievers are being used. Uh, Looks like Josh Lindblom really uh, maybe dodged a bullet. He exited the uh, Brewers game early on Tuesday with back cramps. So uh, what was later diagnosed as back cramps. So still a chance that Lindblom could make his next scheduled start. Now I want to go back to uh, Monday night's games DVR because – Michael Beller and I, we, we we covered you know pretty much almost everything from the Monday slate, but there was a bit of a late result there. And something that I think is worth noting, uh, and actually one of the things that uh, we didn't get to was the uh, Kimbrel implosion that you just mentioned. But Zach Godley, I think this went a little bit under the radar, came in relief, pitched four scoreless innings with seven strikeouts and no walks against the Mets. That performance, given the Red Sox lack of rotation depth, does make him a candidate to join their their rotation. I, I can't even understand what would not lead to Godley becoming a starter for the Red Sox. So I think he's, you know, got somebody that needs to certainly be picked up in deeper leagues at this point and put on the watch list pretty much everywhere. Cause maybe it was the Mets, but maybe uh, Zach Godley's back. I think what I want to see is the command of his curveball because I think it was the year that they put the humidor in at chase field. Everything seemed to unravel for him with that pitch. And He's just not good enough with the rest of his arsenal to get by when that pitch isn't working. So if he has a good feel for that again, I'm kind of in for deeper leagues at least. And I think the Red Sox do have a clear need, as you said. So there's really not much there blocking him. The fact that he went four in relief basically stretches him out enough to go five plus as a starter if they decide to put him in the rotation this weekend. All right. Well, uh, you know, I'm I'm making the... I'm taking the plunge in some deeper leagues just because, because they are deeper leagues. Sometimes there aren't that many options on waivers and if it doesn't work out, you know, now's the time maybe where you can get them cheaply and make a low bid. And if it doesn't work out, then not much lost, but just something to take a look at something to check out on your, your local waiver wire, but let's move up to uh, the Tuesday slate. Not a lot of what I would call standout performances, but uh, a few, uh, namely uh, some pitcher performances, really did stand out. Aaron Savali, wow, nine strikeouts over six innings against the White Sox, just gave up two runs. Uh, you know, I, we can't really read too much, I think, into one start. You can certainly look at the the velocities and the pitch mix and see what's changed there. But, um, you know, definitely an eye-opener from Savali. Yeah, I mean, if you were if you were going to upgrade a player based on one appearance or even just two or three appearances, which is going to take another week or so to get those in. What would move a player the most when it comes to a pitcher? Would it be increased velocity? Would it be a completely new pitch? Like what would be the biggest thing? I mean, both of those things would be great, but if you only get one of those things, <laughs> which makes more of an impact to you when you're looking at such a small sample? Uh, you took away my answer because uh, I was going to say, uh, you know, I want to see a combination. But I, yeah, if I think if I have to look, if I have to pick one thing, 
I think it would be probably a change in the pitch mix. And just, you know, this is completely anecdotal, but it just seems to me that when I've looked at pitchers who have had success for a brief period and then that success gets sustained, it's usually because there's uh, either a new pitch that uh, maybe was underutilized before or or a pitch that got a lot better. Um, and a lot of times it's, it's the same thing. It's a new pitch uh, or an emphasized pitch that also got better at the same time. So I'm certainly looking to see if there's a difference in the in the pitch mix, and certainly if it's if it's a pitch that was effective before but is getting used more frequently. Yeah, I'm just looking at some pitching ninja gifts from that start. I mean, a fastball curveball combo that looked really good that Rob Friedman put out there, and I just think part of it here is the trust in Cleveland as one of the league's better organizations at developing pitchers. If I'm going to be more aggressive in leagues where someone's available. It's probably because I trust that organization to use a pitcher correctly, but also to add pitches correctly to have their catchers call games correctly. And it is something that I think Cleveland has done very well for at least the better part of the last half decade, probably a bit longer now. Yeah. And yeah, organization, that's a key thing too. Uh, So, you know, a lot of things in Savali's favor there. Uh, now, I'll admit, I held back on talking about one of these pitchers because uh, his start is actually in progress as we're recording this. When we started this podcast, Merrill Kelly had a no-hitter going uh, against Texas Rangers. That no-hitter is gone. The shutout is gone. Rugnet Odor just uh, hit a, a solo homer in the seventh inning off of Kelly, but uh, still hard to see this um, not being a standout performance for him. He's in the seventh inning uh, as we're speaking uh, with five strikeouts and just the one hit the uh, Odor home run. And we've, we've talked a bit about Kelly. I, I personally have talked a lot about Kelly because I was really impressed by the fact that his average uh, fastball velocity went up a couple of ticks uh, during September and October last year and with better results to go with it and more whiffs and more strikeouts. And uh, he's, you know, Throwing a, a bit harder as well uh, in this start, so uh, is it is it time to go out and get uh, Merrill Kelly? Yeah, if he's sustaining that late season velocity bump, that definitely moves the needle a little bit for me. I know you've, you've liked him really throughout the entire off season, the extended draft season, all of it. He's been one of your guys, so nice to see him pitching well to start the year. Yeah, well, in fact, I I did account just to because I knew I had him on a lot of teams. Uh, I have eight leagues this season. He's in five of them for me. <laughs> so this has been a good night for me so far. Um, but that's the fun about the the first few days of the season. Doesn't take much to uh, swing things up if you if you need the boost. And uh, frankly, in some of my leagues, I did need this boost. So uh, yeah, I've I've got Kelly, and I'll look for him in the few leagues where where I don't have him. And Another pitcher who did really well the first time around, somebody that I really, I don't have him in any leagues, really didn't have him on my radar at all. And that's Tanner Roark, who um, against the Nationals went five innings, just gave up a run, five strikeouts. Not the kind of overwhelming performance like Savali or Kelly, where it maybe changes the entire way you think about somebody. Uh, And again, with one start, that probably just shouldn't happen anyway, but is this enough maybe to uh, at least look at Roark's next start a little bit more closely? I mostly like him for two-start weeks, so he was on my radar as kind of a cheap pickup for this week. I don't think he's going to stick around long-term, although I'm trying to remember if they had a favorable matchup. If he's got a good home matchup or uh, like a bottom five, bottom six sort of offense next time out, uh, next week that is, I would hang on to him then and cut him the week after. 
but I'm still taking it kind of start by start with Tanner Roark. All right. Well, sounds like a good approach with him. And uh, our featured read of the day, this one's going to maybe sound familiar to you. Uh, podcast transcript, Adnate Pearson now, Jalen Beeks has a million Ks and more by Michael Beller. And yeah, that's what we covered on the last episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. And uh, now we've got transcribed podcasts uh, in The Athletic. So if you miss an episode or, uh, you know, it was just such a good episode that you want to, you know, read it after listening it, uh, listening to it, uh, then uh, there it is. There it is for you. So check that out. Um, so that's going to wrap things up for this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get 40% off of your subscription. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball in 15 and everything from The Athletic, that's all in there as a part of your subscription. And if you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that lets you leave a rating and a review, we would greatly appreciate it if you take the time to do that. So for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we'll be right back here on Thursday. Thursday.